There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Robert L. Moore was an American Jungian analyst and consultant in private practice in Chicago, Illinois. He was the Distinguished Service Professor of Psychology, Psychoanalysis, and Spirituality at the Chicago Theological Seminary, a training analyst at the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago, and Director of Research for the Institute for the Science of Psychoanalysis. Moore was author and editor of numerous books in psychology and spirituality, and lectured internationally on his formulation of a neo-Jungian paradigm for psychotherapy and psychoanalysis. Robert Moore is probably best known as the senior author, along with Douglas Gillette, of a series of books on the in-depth structure of the male psyche, drawing on the account of the archetypal level of the human psyche developed by C.G. Jung. The most well-known of these books is King Warrior Magician Lover, which remains a seminal text of the ever-evolving men's movement. This excerpt is from his lecture series entitled The Warrior Within, which is available from the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago and is republished here under a Creative Commons license. As you'll no doubt notice, the quality of the original tapes wasn't very good, but I've done my best to optimize the recording to make it a little easier to listen to. I hope that you find it educational and informative, and if you're interested in finding out about my coaching program for men based on the work of Robert Moore and C.G. Jung, please visit brianjames.ca. Well, I'd like to welcome you to this uh, beginning of your sessions on behalf of the Young Institute and the Chicago Metropolitan Area Union Community, which is a growing group of people dedicated to the study of young psychology in relationship to contemporary life. I know many of you from past... uh, I'll get a chance to meet the best out of here in this four sessions. Uh, let me say just a little bit more about myself and what brings me here for this. Uh, I am an analyst in private practice in Evanston and in Chicago and work a lot with men and with women who are trying to figure them out. <laughs> and uh, and I go around lecturing on masculine psychology around the country and working on, doing a lot of work on masculine psychology today. 
feel that there are very few things that are more important than studying masculine psychology, uh, given the situation in our world today. And, uh, and these four sessions are an elaboration of uh, uh, some introductory work that uh, I've been doing on uh, the four major archetypes of the masculine, which I'll just do a quick overview tonight for those of you who have not been working with that. I'll also try to say a little bit about how they relate to female psychology. Uh, but tonight, first half at least, I want to spend get, getting us an orientation to thinking about archetypal psychology, why I think about it at all. And the uniqueness of Jung's work in this area. And uh, the sessions, as I've you've seen the program, as I've envisioned them tonight, we'll look at the archetype itself as it's manifest in cultural materials. And uh, next week, we'll talk about, we'll emphasize the potential that archetype uh, for masculine psychology today. What it is, we, we emphasize more what it is for in terms of actualizing some sense of, uh, of the warrior in an appropriate way. I want to do that first before emphasizing the pathology because I'm really tired of, uh, of people not understanding that uh, the warrior is an important aspect of the human psyche. I'm not one of those that thinks it can ever be expunged. It will never be expunged from the human psyche. The only thing that can be done is to deal with it realistically. Uh, it's like all the other archetypes which you'll see in a minute. You, 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 you get a fantasy of vanishing it only to your peril and the peril of the people around you. So, uh, so I want to emphasize the potentials next week uh, and talk about how it operates optimally uh, with men next week. Uh, and talk about how it operates optimally uh, with men. And then I want to spend a good deal of time uh, about the way in which this the the this archetype operates in psychopathology, and I will try to present a number of different forms in which this operates, but it does not operate correctly. When it's not balanced in the psyche of a person, how it manifests itself. And in the fourth session, I want to talk about concrete ways that you can heal the warrior and yourself and other people who are working with men. Some of you may involve, be involved in management. Some of you may be therapists. And, you know, if you're concerned about healing the warrior within yourself, you will focus a lot on therapy, on therapy, therapy, therapy techniques as you can follow. I might have started today, of all days, uh, I might have appropriately started with <coughs> psychopathology given the fact that in Stockton, California yesterday, the warrior archetype possessed a fellow, and he became a mighty boy warrior. And he got his AK-47, and he went into a 
schoolyard, and he proceeded bravely and mightily, as a mighty warrior, one mighty boy warrior, to kill a lot of helpless children and wound a lot more. Um, the history of the human race with regard to this archetype has been largely a history of boy warriors. Uh, and uh, as we will see, uh, so often the, the, the masculine archetypal potentials that are related here are, are, are honored in their act, accessing, being accessed as shadow aspects of the psyche. Uh, it's very difficult to be a man, much more difficult than uh, most uh, people realize. And, uh, and certainly in our particular time, it is not, uh, it, it's not receiving very much thought. The whole idea of manhood or becoming a man, or becoming a mature man, what that's about, does not receive a great deal of thought. Certainly, when you compare reflection on what it takes to become a man as compared with what it takes to become a woman today, uh, the, the uh, female of our species has done a lot better job of late doing some homework with regard to uh, feminine potentials. Um, and while there's a lot of work to be done still yet on the archetypal feminine and ways of balancing that in a mature woman's life. Uh, while there's a lot to be done, uh, they're so far ahead of us uh, in terms of work on the masculine that, uh, that it's a pretty uh, rough situation. Uh, it's particularly difficult, I think, today for women because uh, increasingly women are, are intuiting that there's not a lot they can do for their men to help them do this. And yet they want to be helpful. Uh, and uh, it's very frustrating uh, to be trying to help a man when you don't know what to do to help him. So this is why a lot of people are, are trying to let me Let me get into the, the basics of archetypal psychology as I'm using it here. Uh, briefly, uh, to to give you a sense of the way that I'm coming to this, I want to differentiate myself from the school represented by James Hillman, so-called archetypal psychology. Uh, Hillman, I don't know how many of you have studied much of that. Hillman, uh, in many ways, uh, does not stay with Jung's original understanding of the role of the archetype, the, the archetype and the role of the archetype in the psyche. I consider myself much more orthodox Jungian in terms of my understanding of the archetype and the way it functions. Um, I really believe there are archetypes. I don't think they're merely uh, fantasy products of the imagination. And uh, I really believe that to go the route that James Hillman and some of the other people in so-called archetypal psychology have done is to do away with Jung's major contribution to human psychology. 
because it really matters whether or not you believe that the human psyche has a deeply structured form in the unconscious. Uh, the, the thing that differentiates uh, Jungian from a Freudian today, interestingly, it didn't differentiate Jung and Freud in the same way, but contemporary Jungians and contemporary Freudians differ on this. The, the Freudians don't really believe that the unconscious is really that structure. They see it as sort of a soup. loaded with energy, full of primitive, infantile affects, feelings, emotions, and so forth, but not really that structure. Uh, Jungians, uh, who really adhere more essentially to Jungian, Jung's metapsychology, Jung's teaching on psych, really believe that they're, it's more like a student. <laughs> a lot of things down in that pot. <clears throat> And they are shaped in certain ways. They're not all shaped the same way. And these objects down in the unconscious have an effect on the ego when they come in proximity to the ego or the conscious mind. And they don't all have the same effect. If you study contemporary Freudian psychoanalysis and some derivatives, you would have the idea, for example, that infantile pathological grandiosity, wherever it manifests, is always the same. If you follow Jung, you know that that's wrong. Infantile pathological grandiosity manifests itself in radically different ways. It's all grandiosity. But to put it this way, if you are possessed by the archetype of the king, you will be infantilely grandiose in a certain way. And the people around you will be affected in a certain way. There will be certain <coughs> behaviors you will engage in and certain behaviors you will avoid. <coughs> but if you're possessed by the archetypal lover, you will still be pathologically infantile grandiose, but you won't act in the same way that the man who is possessed by the king will act. And the same thing is true about the other forms. And that is to say, uh, while we appreciate a person like Heinz Kova and other uh, contemporary Freudian psychoanalytic uh, <coughs> representatives of that tradition, uh, those of us who consider, our, consider ourselves Jungians believe that Jung's psychology of uh, grandiosity is in many ways far superior to that of Freud. And uh, uh, I think that is one of the, that is the, the most unique thing I think about Jungian psychology, and it's what makes it radically superior to other forms of depth psychology, because it gives you much more of a geography of the unconscious, much more of a sense of the shaping of those deep structures in the unconscious that influence your behavior. 
gives you much more a sense of the grammar and the recognizability of these structures so that you can figure out what is happening with yourself or with someone else when they are being possessed by a certain form or whether they are projecting it on someone else around them. So uh, rather than just seeing the archetypes uh, as interesting interesting things about uh, that you can study. Uh, they have enormous significant for, significance for human behavior and, uh, and personality, and not to know about them, and not to know the way they influence society is, uh, is really uh, a dangerous thing, because you're reading these things out all the time. So, let me just start off by saying that the Jung talked about the objective psyche, the objective psyche, and by that he meant a a structured aspect of the collective unconscious of the human race that is not in the ego, that influences the ego, and which can be studied by studying. Uh, human culture, religion, folklore, mythology, and so forth. Uh, and you can get a sense of the uh, phenomenology of these structures in the society. The way that they appear in human experience. But knowing the archetypes is just one, uh, one task. What you have to have a sense for is the way in which they function. How do they function? They function as energy sources in the psyche. They function as shapers of behavior, feeling, thinking. They shape the image one has of the future, of the past. They shape, one, they shape one's love or one's inability to love. Uh, they have an interesting quality that you need to get very clear about, and that is they tend to be very materialistic. <laughs> each kind, each one, wants all of you, you know. It's all of you, I want all of you. <laughs> so one of the things that you do when you're looking at yourself from this kind of point of view is you ask yourself which which archetypal forms are dominating you. Which ones tend to be dominant in your personality. You will notice if you look closely at any person. Uh, unless you're, of course, one of these individual young Goddesses in every woman book. 
has, has analyzed the feminine psyche uh, using various goddesses as ways to think about these structures. She's coming out in the spring with a book, uh, Gods and Every Man, which uh, will be, I think, useful. And she's going to be here Friday night speaking on Dionysus. While I personally don't think that looking at gods and goddesses is the best way to get at this, it's certainly useful. And I recommend her work strongly on this. But one of the things she emphasizes quite rightly is that these, these goddesses uh, all want to talk at the same time. <laughs> and, uh, for example, if you look at the contemporary career woman, the Athena, personality uh, is very assertive. It certainly is assertive if she's going to be successful. Because if uh, Athena is the female warrior uh, image. And if a woman does not have a lot of Athena, she will be at a great disadvantage in the world career. But if Athena has too much power over her, she will not be able to sustain an intimate relationship with a man very long. It will be uh, it will be very limiting in the kind of relationship she can have with a man. One of the things that I would want us to get clear about is what this archetype of the warrior does to intimate relationships. What it excludes, what it can include, uh, what what potentials it has for for forming relationship, avoiding relationship, and also what 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 it does to help you stay in a relationship once you've got one. It's an interesting paradox that if you don't have a lot of the qualities of the warrior, see if you do have a lot of the warrior, it's going to be hard to form a lasting end. But if you don't have a good bit of the warrior and the qualities of the warrior, you won't be able to keep one. It's a very interesting thing. Uh, and uh, it's interesting that if you have a whole lot of the archetypal lover, you'll form lots of relationships. But keeping them will be a different thing. Because the qualities, the good points of the lover are not are not those of fidelity. The archetype of lover is promiscuous as hell. So in any case, let me just say a few more things about the way the archetype is and the way it operates. It, it, the Jungians say it's numinous, N-U-M-I-N-O-U-S, numinous. It comes from the term used by the great phenomenologist Rudolf Otto. And it means sort of magical, sparkling with magical energy and power and attractiveness and seductiveness. All archetypal patterns have a certain magical quality to them. They tend in their, in their own power to organize things around them like a magnetic field. And to the extent that your ego is not very strong, or as a self-psychologist would say, to the extent that you don't have a consolidated little s self-structure, 
you will be pushed and pulled willy-nilly by archetypal patterns. And you won't, you, you, will, you will be very much at their mercy. If you have a developed ego, as ego psychologists would say, you will be able to be a little bit less vulnerable to uh, the bullying of archetypal patterns. In other words, you will be able to choose and relate to them much more consciously and with much more freedom. The Jungian word individuation, what's that got to do with archetypes? Well, you have to individuate against the pull of archetypes. In other words, when you're a real infantile, you're a real archetypal. See, this is what a lot of people don't understand. Being archetypal doesn't make something good. In fact, with human beings, the more archetypal they are, the crazier they are. <laughs> you understand that? There's nobody more archetypal than a psychotic. <laughs> Paranoid schizophrenics are walking archetypes. Borderline personalities are in touch with the archetypes a lot more than you. That's your borderline. And if you are a borderline, one of the neat things about you is precisely that. <laughs> Uh, 
you're, the last thing you're going to want, you'd much rather be crazy than uncreative. <laughs> <laughs> Any day. And, uh, well, well, they're different. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, each one of them has, has some piece in it. And don't let me forget to go into that a little bit because because each each one of these a successful artist somebody that's really that's really centered as an artist will, will participate each of these in some uh, uh, useful way. But the important thing to realize is that this is that this when you say archetypal energy, you're talking about something that is like two hundred twenty thousand volts. We're talking about something that you're not meant to mainline. You're not supposed to have your finger in the socket. And it's very important when you're understanding this the archetype, the Jungian psychology of archetypes, to understand that an archetype is not something you want to be. It's not something you want to be real close to. Because it is a very, very magical, powerful pattern and energy source in the psyche. It's there for a particular purpose. If you utilize it in a mature way, it will really fuel you and inspire you, and you will not be bored, but it won't make you psychotic. If, you're, if, you, if you get into it inadvertently, it will make you crazy. If you have had enough development of your ego defenses in your family so that you're almost neurotic, you know, you're up to the level of almost being neurotic, what will happen when you get really close to the archetypal energy is all your circuits will go. Your defenses will operate to shut it down. It's like an automatic fail-safe system on a nuclear reactor. Get that? Think about it a minute. If you are if you are not really borderline, if you're a little more organized in your personality than a borderline, when you get close to this stuff, when you get too close to it, you'll shut down, you'll get depressed. So if you have a chronic depression, think about it. If you have a chronic depression, it means that your defenses are helping you stay away from the archetypal inputs. Is that good or bad? Excuse me? Is that good or bad? Well, it depends. <laughs> it's good if you don't want to be psychotic. I always treat somebody's depression as friendly because I see it as compensating grandiosity. If you're a, clinic, if you're a clinical psychologist <coughs> trained in the everybody else school of thought, they will teach you that manic States compensate a depression. That a person is getting near to being depressed, and so they're having to be in a manic state to defend against the depression. That's exactly the opposite to what's true. In other words, the person that's depressed is an individual whose defenses are working well enough that when they are too close to this archetypal energy, the defenses operate like a fail-safe system and shut the systems down, just like in a, just like in a power plant. 
And that would be repression. That's repression. To the extent that your defenses are fairly matured, not great, but good enough, you will get depressed and not crazy. You get it? If you are not as well organized, you will start getting crazy. And how will that look? You will get compulsive in some form, or you will get manic, and you'll start not being able to sleep, and you'll be super creative, and then you'll have to go see your dealer <laughs> and get some more cocaine. And, uh, you know, cocaine is just uh, a ritual form of staying in touch with this stuff after you're so fatigued that you would be out. But uh, uh, if your defenses are good enough, you would just get depressed. And so whenever you're really depressed, the question to ask yourself is simple. Well, how have I been getting too close to some archetype? Which one is it? <laughs> How do I need to come down a little bit? Because you have to, in other words, the paradoxical thing is you have to come down in order to get the energy back. You have to get off the high chair in order to access the energy. Now this again, remember, this isn't true if you're born. Well, in mourning, it's kind of a different thing. That is, you're sort of a normal neurotic person that's had a major loss. Mm -hmm. And that, you've had, you're, you've had a, a worldectomy or a worldotomy. Mm -hmm. You know, your world is just gone. Mm -hmm. And you've had a major loss. Mm -hmm. Your cosmos has been destroyed. And so, uh, so you're having a major, major loss, and it has put you into a transition state. And in a transition state, you are particularly vulnerable to archetypal invasions. Here's a rule, folks. When you've had a major loss, you're just like a landing pad for archetypes. Mm -hmm. Major loss. It's like you, it's like in closing counter for the third time. Lift, 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 land here. <laughs> land here. And so you can you can see this that the depression is a way of really limiting the uh, the the infusion of these energies that would come in your whole world. See, when your ordinary world is going to the extraordinary world here. This is why when you are in major losses, you tend to get all these religious experiences. Uh, crisis in your life, religious experience. Translate archetypal encounters. And so, uh, so the whole, in other words, if you think about what the individuation process is, what is it that you want to develop as a mature person from this point of view? Well, you want to develop the capacity to, do, to relate to these energy sources and these patterns and potentials in a way that really fuels you and inspires you and fills you out and fills you up so that your cup runs over a little bit, not too much. <laughs> okay. 
And in other words, so that you feel the fullness, what Jung called the pleroma, you feel the fullness of life. In other words, if you're accessing this stuff, you will not, if you're accessing it right, you will not be depressed. If you're accessing it much too little, you will probably be depressed. And if you jack it up too fast and overload the circuits, it will pop you down into depression. So what you want to do is like in-flight in refueling. You want to learn how to come up behind the mothership just right. And you don't want the nozzle coming through the windshield. <laughs> And you want to fuel, and then you want to go off and do your work. And then you want to come back to it and refuel, and then you want to go off and do your work. But you don't want to fly up into the belly of the plane. Uh, and this, this is the kind of uh, metaphor that helps you understand what Jung meant and what Somebody like, like, if you want to get a real good treatment of this, read Edward Edinger's little book called Ego and Archetype. It's laid out there. Ego and Archetype. And he talks about the ego-self axis. Remember, that's the ego-capital-S-self, archetypal-self axis. It means a relationship. Yes, dear. Um, <clears throat> when you go out to the mothership, you want more of, a, of an IV drip than a mainline connection. Right. Well, you, you want the amount that your tanks can take without bursting. And you want you want the uh, you want the flow to be at the at some kind of a regulated rate. And then you want to be able to detach. Uh, you, for example, see optimally if you have a therapeutic experience that works, you shouldn't be finally uh, addicted to the therapist. Uh, for those of you in Freudian therapy, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me get into that. Why, why Freudian therapy has to have people in therapy so much, so long? Because it's built into their metapsychology. There's no way out of analysis if you're a Freudian. Because you have, since they don't believe in archetypes, the Freudian analyst doesn't know they're an archetype. They don't know that they receive an archetype of transference. And they don't know of any way in which the person could receive <coughs> that without them. And so they maintain an archetypal transference forever. When the task of the Jungian analyst is to return you to your archetypal self. Now, a lot of Jungian analysts don't do that. But that's not because of the theory. That's because of uh, whatever. That's confusing from what you said before that you, uh, I mean, you can't emerge from your archetype to you with the crazy person. So you're talking about returning you to your archetype self in mastery or something like that. With an axis. The task of, 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 of analysis is not to make you an addict for analysis. The task of analysis, 
argument is to help you form an axis with your archetypal self that you can manage in your own ritual way. See, one of the things I talk about in the fourth session is, is sort of ritual means of, of monitoring your relationship with these the point is, is that if I don't understand that I have an inner magician, I will have to project it on you and relate to you as my magician. Uh, that's probably necessary early on, but then soon you should have your own relationship with your inner magician. If you're in analysis with me, you should be able to take that back, and I should become more ordinary. And your own luminosity would be something you relate to inside. You should be free of me. I hope you continue to like me, but you would be free of me. See, I wouldn't be on retainer forever. That's the key difference. Uh, so, in other words, the uh, the ego self axis is the goal, and this is true for every one of these major archetypes. And uh, and you want to be able to develop your ego, your own conscious, mature self to the extent that you can make decisions about when you need to be in touch with the king, say, more, or when you need to be in touch with the lover more, or when you need to be in touch with the warrior more. Because if you don't have that kind of consciousness and that kind of self-mastery, then the, the system has not done its job for you. And we also want access to our ego. Exactly. In a very similar way. All these things interact with each other in a mutually regulating way, and if you're not if you're not in touch with each of these on some fairly regular basis and some conscious basis, then you're condemned to acting out. You you can't make it though by the right balance of these four male. I think that's accurate. Well, I, I don't think, well, he's saying that you can't simply make it in terms of as a man, for example, by simply relating to the four male archetypes. I would say that's right because that totally avoids the anima dynamics, the inner feminine, the contrasexual. But in many ways, we've got a lot more men that are on better terms with their feminine than they are on mm -hmm. terms with their masculine. Maybe you should tell us more about these archetypes before we, you know, make All right, sure. Let me, uh, let me just go over them briefly. So the goal is accessing, not being possessed by it. If you're possessed by it, it's sort of, you just incarnated it. It's used you to incarnate. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.